0: And welcome to the Hockey Podcast. This is a fan-run podcast about the Chicago Blackhawks. My name is Tyler, and I'm joined as always by my three co-hosts, Wally.
1: Jared Tenorti is him.
2: Nick. Welcome home, Hossa, and let's go hot.
3: Hell yes. And John. Um, Tenorti is better than Seth Jones. That's a little part. Yeah, pretty much. Am I wrong? Yes. I don't think I am wrong. He
2: does have more goals
3: than them right now. Exactly. I guess that's fair
2: enough. And let's get into
0: the news revolving some of our players. First thing, Ian Mitchell is back, but not with the Blackhawks, it appears.
1: Yeah, he got sent down to Rockford, I believe, on Friday, Thursday or Friday. Um, And he played in both the games for the Ice Hogs, and he recorded a point on Sunday night against Texas uh, where he picked up a primary assist on Isaac Phillips' goal.
3: Nice.
2: It's a good idea to send uh, Mitchell down to Rockford just so he can rehab and get back to game form if the Hawks do see him coming up at all sometime at this point in the season. It's good to see him down in Rockford getting some ice time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you guys see Ian Mitchell as a potential
3: call-up candidate soon? Uh, I don't. I think he's pretty far down the depth chart, personally. I would much rather have Regula or Galvis. Um, and then Isaac Phillips, I think, would be more of a more deserving of a call-up. Yeah, but... I still
0: think, I think the one thing with him is that, you know, you're looking at a right handed shot option. And I wouldn't say I've necessarily been entirely impressed with Ragula's NHL action so far. So I think that, you know, if you're giving more guys opportunities, even if it's just for like a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, I think that the majority of Rockford defensemen deserve like five ish games this year in the NHL.
3: And maybe I should be more. Maybe I should clarify. I don't think that Ian Mitchell is not good enough to be in the NHL. I just think there's guys in front of him that deserve it more. And I like Regula's NHL. I like Rigula's NHL play so far. It's a, a limited sample size, but regardless, I think he's been pretty decent at the very least.
1: I think he does see some NHL time uh, this year. It'll be interesting to see when because. Right now, with Seth Jones, that's a pretty big opportunity for someone. If he's, I guess he also came back from injury, so that can, I mean, I mean, I guess it makes sense that he wouldn't be playing right away in the NHL because he's just coming back from an injury. Um, So hopefully, he gets a chance soon. I just don't know when it will be. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I wonder how highly the uh, new Hawks regime views Ian Mitchell because, you know. In twenty in the shortened season, he played 39 games out of the 56, which he had a lot of experience there. And I would say that, you know, for the most part, he was all right. But it is weird to see how two years later, maybe there's just like a lack of improvement beyond anything, which I guess would make sense considering the fact that he did always seem like, you know, kind of the guy where, at the point that he is, it didn't actually feel like he was going to really add skills to get to the next level in terms of, like, offensive zone
3: uh, effectiveness or anything. The same thing kind of happened with uh Bodan. That's why we shipped him off, because there was no improvement. The thing with Bodan, though, is I thought there actually was, like, room for improvement in
0: his skill. And, like, you know harnessing those talents and actually turning those into more. I just don't know how much genuine offensive capability at an NHL level, what actual ceiling there really is there with Ian Mitchell.
1: Yeah, it was always weird to me how the previous regime kind of always hyped him up to being, he's going to be NHL ready and he's going to play top four right away. I never got that sense from Ian Mitchell. It it was just kind of weird to me.
3: And like what you were saying, Tyler, was like the regime right now has no no commitment towards him. Like they have no ties to him. They could care less about him right now, I feel like, for all we know. We saw that with Bodan. Yeah, right. So, and they were taking the same draft too, right? Mitchell was actually drafted a year before.
1: Okay. Yeah, he was drafted in twenty seventeen. Or
3: mm-hmm.
1: twenty eighteen.
0: But still, they gave up on Bodan earlier than they gave up on
2: Mitchell, even though Baudin's younger. see some untouched potential with Mitchell, but it's interesting to see. Maybe they know if, with the fact that he's a right-hand shot, it kind of brings a little bit more than what the Hawks actually do have on the right-hand side of the defense. It It gives them a little bit of... Let's see what this guy can do with his right-hand shot on the blue line. And with this new regime, anything can go. Because we saw it with Doc and Brinkett getting moved in the off season. We now saw it with Baudin getting moved a couple of weeks ago. We could see it with Mitchell, but who knows? They could want to try and find that potential. But maybe Mitchell ends up turning out to be a bottom Uh, D pair in the NHL. That could be the case.
0: Um, Regardless, I don't know if it'll happen here. I don't think that this is the location for him to actually realize that ability. I think it could be the case where similar to maybe like a Lucas Carlson situation where he goes somewhere else and then he turns into a decent third pair guy there. Um, Or, on an even larger scale, Gustav Forsling, where he goes somewhere else, then he turns into not just a guy who can play third pair, but a guy who could even fill in your top four. I just don't think that we'll ever see that in Chicago. I don't think that the organization views him that way. And I think that it might be a case where, you know, we have players who we value higher here, but he could find a role somewhere else. But moving into one of the big events that's about to come up soon. Marion hosts his jersey retirement. The Blackhawks haven't seen a jersey retirement in nearly twenty plus years, so this is a thing that, although we'll probably see more coming down the line because we do have some players who are obviously going to get jersey retirements soon, this is a milestone moment that we haven't seen in a while in this organization, and the first guy of the group of the last group of winners to get his jersey number in the rafters is Marion Hossa. And that night's coming
2: up soon. Well, the last jersey retirement for the Hawks actually happened back in 2008 with Pierre Palant and Keith Magnussen number three uh, getting their uh, numbers hung into the rafters of the United Center. But it's been a while, and I can't wait to actually be in the United Center to see this occur. In person, just because Marion Hosa meant so much to this organization from being the greatest free agent signing in Chicago sports history to becoming an automatic leader in the locker room for the Hawks and a just a bona fide fan favorite throughout the organization. Seeing Hosa coming back, getting his number retired with the team that he played. Eight seasons with, most of his career with, technically, was with the Hawks. He played uh, 19 seasons in the NHL, eight with the Hawks, and that was the longest tenure with any team. And he became a Hall of Famer playing for the Chicago Blackhawks, I feel like.
0: Yeah, and you said a thing there, the greatest free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports I've been thinking about that since you said that. I'm trying to think about what else could even like match up to that, and the only thing I can think of is like I don't know John Lester people
2: argue John Lester, but let's be honest three three championships versus one yeah, I would still i mean he's the only one that I think
0: even comes close because you know despite the rich history of the city, there aren't a ton of players who've actually like there aren't a ton of players who've won championships here despite that so and it's not, especially not people who were like signed as free agents. So I think that you might be right in the whole thing with the greatest free agent signing in Chicago sports history with Marion Hosa.
2: He became a fan favorite throughout the city. So it's understandable. The Hawks are retiring his number and it's against one of his former teams. Granted, he played about 17 regular season games with that team and had a insane playoff in oh eight with the penguins, but he's won't ever ever he will never be known for the penguins. He'll be known for either being a Chicago Blackhawk, maybe an Ottawa Senator, or Atlanta Thrasher in the NHL. But Joseph will forever be, in my opinion, the greatest free agent signing in Chicago sports history.
3: Uh you're right, Nick. Because I just like looked, I just found an article that ranked all these uh, free agents that Chicago sports teams have signed, and he's the clear favorite number one. Who was listed at number two? Number two was Julius Peppers.
1: Oh, that's a, that was. When was this article written?
3: Um, twenty seventeen it's a little outdated, but Okay. He also was Carlton Fisk, Andre Dawson. Oh Dawson actually is a really good one. Dawson's um, a good one. I would still say Hosa
0: over any of those guys because not only do you have the championships, you have the impact, you have the reliability. And especially especially with Hosa. I mean, you look at the reliability that he had. With he never he never missed the playoffs while he was here. The team has made the playoffs half a time since he's left. I only count the bubble as qualifying for the playoffs one half a time. Okay, But we were always in the playoffs every single season that he was here. He was never the primary figure, but he was always there. You could always count on him being there. And he did everything that you needed him to do. It almost
2: felt like we had a superhuman
0: on our team at times.
2: Think about it. When Hossa retired, there was a massive hole in that locker room. The Hawks completely fell apart from their greatness, from actually winning the first seed in the regular season in 2017 to completely falling apart the next season, missing the playoffs for the first time since 2008. The Hawks are missing that key player. Marian Hosa, I felt like, was the glue to the locker room that brought the team together to get to the playoffs and battle hard each and every night. Husa may have missed some games every now and then, but when he was a present when he was present, that team was one of the hardest teams to play against in the NHL. It's something to watch when you notice a complete dip in defensive Play from the forward side because Marianosa was one of the greatest at playing the 200 foot game, and that they are putting his number in the rafters for one of his main reasons of being one of the best two way forwards in NHL history. He may have never won a selkie but what he did was just outstanding work ethic, and he was the main reason. He's my favorite all-time NHL player. No, I think part of the thing that with him never winning a Selkie,
0: I think part of that has to do with the fact that the Selkie trophy is a center-biased trophy. Yeah. yeah. If you win the Selkie as a winger, you might be the greatest defensive forward
1: of all time. But Tyler, face-offs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if I remember correctly, Marion was nominated for the Selkie a couple of times in his career. The, his highest Selkie vote was coming fifth, and that was in the 13-14 season.
0: So he was never officially a nominee, but he was always respected for his defense in spite of that.
2: Correct. He got the votes usually, and he had a few seasons where he was 10th in the voting, um, 14th in the voting, which was his final year in the NHL. He even got... N- Votes for Hart Trophy in the 11th-12 season for the Hawks, where he came four, 24th in the votes. And that makes sense, because that was 11-12. That was the year where Tays missed a lot of
0: time. Yes. clear that
2: car accident situation. Yes. And Hosa played uh 81 games that year. Great number right there. <laughs> Where he nearly put up 30 goals on the season, actually. Mm -hmm.
0: Moving into the two games the Hawks play this week, uh, we have to wait until home games come back. We have game uh, against Carolina, and then we play against Pittsburgh at home. But this week, the entirety of that game set was road games, both in California, Thursday against the Kings, and then Saturday against the Ducks. And both these games, not a lot of scoring, very weird, weird games, and you look at that Kings game right there, and the most important thing I would say is that it's the return of Peter Mrazik.
2: The Return of Peter Morazic, and it was a very good return for Morazic after coming off a growing injury.
3: Mm-hmm. We finally get goalies back in the system.
2: <laughs> yeah, the
0: uh, first goal that was scored, though, was from the Hawks, and... Taylor Radish again. I mean, he's playing fantastic.
2: Yeah, Radish has played well each game, it feels like, this season. And he may not have a ton of points on this season, but Radish has been playing well. And getting the power play opportunity, getting the Hawks on the board, it's good to see Radish producing on the special team unit. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: If I remember correctly... He was like completely wide open in the slot and no one was covering him. So it was a little bit weird that it was a w- little bit weird that he just like stood there and just, just hammered it home when um when he got the pass. Yeah. Um I would say that
0: even despite how good Taylor Raj is playing, I would still say he's a little bit unfortunate because you know, the injury to Tyler Johnson has been a massive a massively a negative thing for this team in the way that they've been able to play. You can see the difference. When Tyler Johnson's out there, he's just been, he was so good for so long, but not having him has been such a massive loss.
2: Now that Johnson is skating again, it's good to see there could be a chance that Tyler could be on the returning side of the ledger, but we don't know when we'll see that. And reunite Taze with Tyler Johnson and Radish because, frankly, that was our most um, consistent line when all three of those were, uh, players were out there together.
1: Yeah, I feel like our top nine without Tyler Johnson has kind of struggled. Like, I feel like maybe one or two of the lines are going, but the other one has been terrible. It seems like that's kind of what it's been since he's been gone.
3: It was weird to see like Tyler Johnson struggle last year. I know there was injuries but regardless he struggled. Um because he was so good for so long in Tampa and it's good to see that he's bounced back in the games that he's played this year.
0: Yeah. Um but you know so the Hawks take a one nothing lead but after that they take a crucial penalty near the end of the first period that bleeds into the second and ultimately does end up tying the game for the Kings.
2: Yep, former Blackhawk, Philip Deneau, uh, making the Hawks pay on the power play. It seems like whenever we play him, he does get a goal against us, and they're usually either off the power play or just a very hard shot to even make an attempt for a save, which is not in Deneau's style of play per se, and he keeps making us pay for trading um, a few what is it now, seven years ago? Yeah.
3: That was not a good trade. It was such a bad trade.
0: No, it wasn't. Oh, what's Dutch Gretzky doing these days?
1: I think he's retired also. I will say that they didn't actually score on the power play, but Reese Johnson needed to stop pushing whoever it was in the crease because that's what led to that power play and then ultimately LA scored like 1 second after so he has to be more disciplined because that kind of cost the Hawks the game so
0: yeah 3 seconds after the penalty expired the goal was scored yep. so like it it still is essentially a power play
3: yeah because he hasn't
0: gotten back it doesn't count against it doesn't count that way against the statistics but it was essentially a power play goal, which, again, is another moment where a penalty kill doesn't hold up. Yeah. There was a weird moment there where the Kings uh, scored what looked like a second goal, but this was a crazy situation. I don't know why it took this long before the, why the goal even like happened at all, because it was a delayed penalty against the Kings, but they were still somehow able to gain enough possession on that play to get a shot off and
2: score. It was very weird, but I'm not complaining. Uh, they did not score. It was a clear penalty that was called. Um, and just seeing how it got scored and then the wave off, there's a goal that reminds me of it, and it came in the 2013 playoffs that end up screwing Jarmerson in Game 7 versus Detroit. But we all know what happened a few Minutes later going into the overtime in that game.
0: Yeah. I also wanted to look this up because um there's something that I mentioned on a previous episode and I hadn't really been keeping track, but now I um or I hadn't mentioned it, but uh once again I wanna say the Hawks throughout this season are still yet to be out hit in a game.
2: Yeah. This team loves is one of the heaviest hitting teams in the NHL, and it can be either costly to the other team because they're up against some heavy hits, or you can tell the Hawks are stuck in their defensive zone way too much. There was a funny moment towards the end of the second
0: period that uh, looked like a very uh, nervous moment for Hawks fans because. <laughs> So the Hawks ended up in a situation where they were stuck with their third pair out on the ice, their third pair defensemen, which was Caleb Jones and Alec Ogula, for upwards of the entire last four minutes of the of the second period. And there was a lot of time they were out there, and there were a couple of icings in there, and for whatever reason, they just could not get them off the ice.
2: It was a scary moment for the Hawks because... No player wants to be stuck out on the ice for that length of time because that's exhausting. And they were able to kill it off. But it looked like the Hawks were stuck on a PK for that length of period of time just because they couldn't either get out of the zone cleanly or when they do get it out of the zone, it just got ice. So Mm -hmm. it was this uh, interesting moment. I think we've seen it a couple of times in the past year. We've seen these overextended shifts against the Hawks. And, well, they actually were able to kill it off and get it to the third period of play, which was very important to see.
1: Yeah, Peter Mrazek even said that he needed new lungs there after, uh, after like that four-minute period or whatever. Um So obviously that's not it's not great, but it's good to see that they were able to weather the storm and not allow any goals.
0: Mm -hmm. And I wonder in a situation like that, what how do you build like because obviously that's the second period, it's the long shift. It's it's the long change. Yeah. It's the second period, it's the long change. So I'm trying to think about like if if I was you you kind of have to like buck the trends in terms of like how you approach the situation. Do you, and this is probably how I would try and think about it, you have to try and get them off the ice in some way. And I would almost say that in that situation, what you try and do is when you're changing one of your forwards, you swap a defenseman in there. And then you have the defenseman go play defense. You put the, the one of the tired defensemen up as a forward, and then you try and get them off the ice as quick as possible. You take maybe like the 10 seconds where you're technically on a penalty kill but you can actually get a a good defenseman out there and guys who aren't tired. It's a risk, but being at 5-on-4 for like 10 seconds shouldn't be an aggressive detriment.
2: Yeah, it shouldn't hurt too much, but it could be a weird situation to have the three defensemen out there just to say, hey... We're out here to help you, but we're also out here to take our shift, type of thing. It's going, it would be, it could mess up the entire lineup going throughout just because you're kind of messing with how the D pairings line up and go, which one you need out there at certain points of time. It works, but it can lead to some line confusion for, like, the coaching staff and the players, actually.
1: Yeah, for for me, I, it's tough because I don't know if the defenseman would necessarily, like, I feel like by instinct they wouldn't, I don't know how I want to phrase this, but by instinct they wouldn't they wouldn't be playing their position. I feel like it would kind of mess it up a little bit. And they'd be a little bit out of sync. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. I just don't know in practice how well it would work. I guess is my opinion. Mm-hmm.
0: Because the whole the whole goal would be the, the whole goal in the situation would be getting a guy off, getting those tired players off the ice. And if you can sacrifice being in a five on four for five seconds and get a forward off. And then you can try and, like, manufacture a way to get that defenseman off the ice by, like, being in a 5-on-4 for five seconds, and then you have a defenseman out there. And then the tired defenseman goes up to the forward, then he gets off the ice, you're in a 5-on-4 for, like, five more seconds, and then you have a healthy and uh, energized forward on the ice. And now you have at least one not-tired defenseman. It's an interesting way to go. It is a difficult situation because then you're, handicap- you're handicapping yourself. But no one's—it's like five seconds of five on four. It's not like you're desperately in tra- trouble because of that.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a tough situation because you are handicapping yourself, uh, naturally because of the player being tired. Then you're also, ha- but he's also still out there. Like he's still a body. But then you're handicapping yourself by taking him off. Um, like when when the offense is still near the your zone, so it's it's a tough. Uh, it's like a yin yang kind of thing. It's tough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know they were able to survive, and the Hawks were able to survive for the vast majority of the rest of this game. It doesn't seem like they were the better team in the majority of this situation, majority of this game at all. Um, however. One thing they were able to do was they were able to get this game to OT, but it was kind of lucky in that situation.
1: Yeah, they, they didn't really deserve to get this to overtime. Um, they were outchanced at even strength 54 to 34, outshot 25 to 19, and they lost the expected goals battle uh, 2.67 to 1.12, which is not great to say the very least.
0: It's not great at all, but what it is is indicative of Peter Mrazek being much better than he was last season.
2: Yeah, Mrazek, since his debut with the Hawks this season, he's been very good. And seeing how he continues to play the way he... Coming off an injury and going into a game where he's coming back from a growing injury... He basically robbed us getting a point in this game, in my opinion.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: And that point seemed like it could have been extended to two. However, right before we're about to head to a shootout, honestly, one of the most heartbreaking ways to lose a hockey game. Yeah. There was, I believe, 1.7 seconds left on the clock when the Kings got that overtime winner.
1: Yep, something like that. <laughs> yeah, Um.
0: but beyond that, which, you know, good for Fiala, he took the penalty that cost the Kings our second goal. However, he redeemed himself, and they won the game because of it.
1: Yeah, it,
2: it was, We did we deserve to win this game? Probably not. So, we get a point, but it was one of those bittersweet losses. We got a point, but we pro- we honestly truly didn't deserve the point in my opinion.
0: No, I wouldn't say so either. I didn't think that we were all too great um but um, something that's been consistent throughout this entire year. Uh, that we've been able to say. Quite uh, impressive. And once again, even against a team that has players who are really good, face-offs. Once again.
2: The face-off was insane that night. Uh, Philip Deneau was terrible at it that night, and he's usually one of uh, the Kings' better face-off players. Hell, Patrick Kane won a clean face-off off of, off of uh, Philip Deneau. So... It seemed like the Kings were off their game, but the Hawks were still just playing hard-nosed face-off hockey, which they've been doing night in, night out, it feels like.
1: Yeah, Jonathan Tays especially was uh, very good. He won 18 of 21 draws, which I guess him being good at face-offs isn't that surprising at this point. Um, It's also worth mentioning that he recorded a primary assist. He had six shots and he also led the team in 5v5 expected goal share with 56% which is pretty good so um yeah he was he was great
0: but um it seems like we're on a broken record at this point um Caleb Jones again Bad. not good yeah <laughs> wally we go to you for the nuance
1: okay the the thing is, I've actually liked Caleb Jones for the majority of the season, but these past two games, he's been awful. Um, in the in the L.A. game, he somehow managed to have a 1.76 expected goal share. He had three giveaways, and he had a penalty. H- how do you even do that?
0: I'm sorry, did you say that he had an expected goals percentage under two? Yes. Oh
3: my god. I'm assuming that's not very good. No, that is extremely terrible.
0: Considering the fact that average is fifty percent, maybe it was at two percent.
3: That's not. That's not good. That's not good. So, so that's, that is saying goals as expected when he's on the ice. Well, no, it's 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 percentage wise
0: compared to for and against. So, if it was like all, if like when you were on the ice, everything was good, then you'd have one hundred percent goal share. If you if everything was bad, you'd have a zero percent goal share. Average is fifty. He was at 2%.
3: That's not good. No. Mm -mm. No, it's not.
1: (laughs) He also was on the ice
3: for that four-minute shift. So, yeah. Which I guess explains part of that, but not all of that. What did Johnson have? Because he didn't have a very good uh, five-on-five goal. 0%. Oh, my.
1: Yeah, his, his was at 0%. And he also took the penalty, which led to the goal against that. Technically got this... Game to overtime. So yeah, both were pretty bad. Not good. Pretty, pretty bad.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, but you know, the Hawks are still competing in games, even if we don't necessarily deserve to win some of these games, we're still winning. We're still or we're still competing. We're still playing decently well. And we show um how to win stupid, once again, with this Anaheim Ducks game. I I just this is a text. This is a crash course on how to win, stupid
1: goal lead.
0: And it's good when you're, and, and it's good when you can goalie teams with your number three goalie.
1: And one yeah. who might be the future starter.
3: Absolutely. And he's amazing. He can do no wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the
0: game started off really bad, though. Um, the Hawks were getting outshot sixteen to one at one point.
2: Don't forget, they gave up a goal twenty
1: seconds into play. Oh, that as well.
0: Yeah, they gave up a goal twenty seconds into play. Um and then they went down two nothing. And I remember vividly saying, I would bet all my money that the Hawks lose this game. Boy, I'd be wrong.
1: Yeah, you would have lost all your money.
2: <laughs> I would have lost my entire life and savings. I would I bet no one had money on Jared Denorty in this night.
0: No, I don't think anyone was thinking, oh, Jarrett is going to score two goals.
1: I wonder what the line was
3: on on that.
0: I don't think it exists.
3: It is unfathomable that yeah. people thought he was going to get two goals. Even just one goal.
0: But, you know, the Hawks, the Hawks fall behind in this game, which is a bit of a different situation. And I would say that mostly it was just the Troy Terry show to start the game. Uh, he had a goal and an assist in the first... Uh, long before the Hawks. I think. There, I mean, there was a point where he had a goal and an assist and the Hawks had given up two goals before they had even registered two shots. They are just getting dominated to start that first period. It was awful.
2: Yeah, it was not a good game to start out. The Hawks just looked gassed and they just looked caught on their heels the entire time. They could not get any form momentum for the Hawks to even get any opportunities off their first shot of the game came 150 feet away from the net that's not your way you should be starting a game and then it takes your second shot much later on to be what gets you on the board yeah and that goal was actually a very nice play by Max
0: Domi um I think part of it was started with Philip Kurishev, who in his in the defense zone, you know, gained gained control, Ended up I think heading over to Murphy, then end up with Kane, uh, who gets up to Domi, and then it was a really nice saucer pass by Max Domi over to who else but Jared Tenorti, I guess,
2: and Tenorti making his best impression of pulling a Kale McCarr or something because I don't think. I've ever seen Jared Tenorti go up to the crease and go backhand, forehand, backhand into the net the way he did last night. That was a very nice move.
0: It was an incredible goal, but I have to dock points because Max Domi was wearing a tinted visor.
3: Oh my god, it's not that bad. Hey, tinted visors are actually pretty good. I like those. Question, Tyler. Yes. So... With a tinted visor, does that take away the players like how much you like the player? Um, I
0: think that it's a disgrace to wear a tinted visor if you're not in an outdoor game.
3: Okay, so me and we were talking about this earlier, Hosa had a tinted visor. Is that disgraceful?
2: <laughs> um Hosa never wore a tinted visor.
0: I, I'm going to trust the the Marion Hosa fan on this one.
3: <laughs> I, I looked it up on the internet. He had a tinted visor. I looked at. Look tinted. Are you sure that wasn't an outdoor game? I'm positive.
2: Well, Hosa, he had a slight tint with his visor. I will say that, but his
3: wasn't. His isn't like a full tint. Yeah, it wasn't a full tint. Maybe I should have clarified. It was not a full tint.
2: No. His was more of a clear visor. It wasn't a full
3: tinted right. visor. Yeah, I should so. have, I should have been more clear. Yes, he did not have a full tint, but he, it was tinted nonetheless. To some, Tyler
1: hates Marion. Hall what were what were what the conclusion yes, is.
3: I agree. <laughs> no, no,
0: you won't make me say that.
3: No, no, we you don't have to say it. Like we just know it.
0: I mean, if you end your career in the Hall of Fame, then you can wear a tinted visor.
3: Who's to say Max Domi? Won't? Exactly. I was about to ask that.
0: If you if if you if you are a Hall of Fame player who has who has won championships, okay, fine. You can wear. It. You can do whatever the heck you want.
3: Who's to say though that Max Domi won't be in the Hall of Fame? Me. Okay. <laughs> After that
0: first period, um, Arvid Soderblom was completely unbeatable, and it was fantastic to see because we've been talking about this guy for years, and I think that we're starting to see the flashes now, and we're going to keep seeing them going forward. And I wholeheartedly believe that it's going to keep on going because he's still so young.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, after the after the first two goals went in, he made twenty four straight saves. Um, to get the Hawks the win, which was great to see.
3: Okay, as yeah. the member of the, or I think I'm the leader of the Soda Boom uh, Stand Club. I would like there to be no slander on Twitter because I see it far too often. <clears throat>
1: no, he actually, he actually, he actually he, that he backtracked. Tyler.
0: He backtracked so hard that was the fun, that was the funniest backtrack I've ever seen.
3: Wally, I just want to say this. Watch. Uh, Soderboom's going to give up like a like an iffy goal, right? And then he's going to go back to his Soderboom sucks.
0: But I think when we're talking about how good the goalie was in this game, it shows one thing. The skaters on the ice were not
3: very good.
2: No. It was not a good skating performance by the Hawks at all. Arvid... Was what won us this game. Without him, frankly, the Hawks probably would have lost this game seven to two, probably.
0: Yeah, no. The, I think it, it might have, it might, it could have actually been that bad. They played; they were not very good at all the entire game. With the momentum that you lose, giving up goal, giving up a goal that soon for it to not snowball and then for them to actually end up winning the game, it's fantastic. Yeah. But there's a guy we haven't yet mentioned. Yeah, I think he's really important to mention. Yeah, first NHL goal, Philip
1: Roos. But yeah, it was it was a great goal by Roos. yeah He, he kind of, I mean, he started the whole thing, didn't he?
2: Kane sauced it over to um Roos. Roos takes it in, shoots it on net, goes up and gets his own rebound and. Roos roofed it uh, and gave the Hawks the tied game. It was a beautiful uh, point-blank play for Philip Roos to get his first-ever NHL goal.
1: And it was great that he got it. I think he got it on the father's trip, too, which is great to see. I think the Hawks Twitter posted a picture of it with him and his dad, so that was great to see.
0: Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, It's great that, you know... It's so good that, like, we're out of, like, you know, you know lockdowns and stuff. And because his family, he's, I mean, all of his family is from Sweden. They all live there. So it's so great that he they, they were actually able to be here for that moment. And it yeah. was, like, unexpected because it wasn't, like, you know, a situation where, I mean, he could have had his first NHL goal for any period of time before this. But it just happened to be on the father's trip. Fantastic.
2: It was really a good moment for uh, someone to get his career first goal to be with uh, knowing one of his parents is in the building to witness it. Yeah, but beyond it being a great moment, it also meant tie game. Tie game? And it comes off of a beautiful goal. (laughs) You have to admit that. And then once again, beyond
0: that, we also have to mention... Both goals up to this point and later, all goals scored tonight by Hawks players, defensemen.
2: Yep. It was a little strange because the Hawks coming into this game, they only had two goals from defensemen, one being from McCabe and the other being from Connor Murphy. So going into this game, tying the two defensemen with getting two goals and then Ultimately passing to get a third one, it by one, by it being from one of the defensemen who already scored in this game, it's actually impressive to see.
1: I think, uh, Tanori actually, um, he tied his career, well, he tied his career goals scored in this game. Indeed, he did. Yeah, he had. Two leading up, two leading up into this game, and two in this game.
2: Yeah, it's something interesting because all three out, three out of his four career goals now have come in the duck pond in Anaheim, and I think his second goal of the night may have been the most unexpected goal. How it was scored because it came off of two Ducks players and in, but. I guess he'll take it because he's not not known for being a goal scorer until last night. That might be one of the luckiest goals I've ever seen. I mean, that's up there with, like... When you have the hot stick, it's going to... A puck's going to go in, I guess.
3: I don't know if you guys remember the... I think it was to win the game last year. It was the Buffalo Sabres goal where it bounced off the stick and then went in. Like... I feel like that tenority goal and that goal are, like, up like up there in, like, the luckiest goals ever that I've seen.
0: That thing was the end of Kevin Lincoln. Yeah. And that caused me so much pain.
3: I like Kevin, too, man. Like, it just sucks that he... I do, too. It just sucks that he couldn't, like... He couldn't put together a good sophomore season. Couldn't stay good here. Is he doing good in Nashville? I think he is, and if he is, I'm
0: so
1: happy for him. He's doing better than Yusei Saros, so that's all that matters.
0: That's incredible. In fact, that might be my favorite thing I've ever heard. Kevin Lankinen being better than Yusei Saros, even if they're on the same team, I love that, everything
3: about that. Yusei Saros is only a whole of Fame goalie against the Chicago Blackhawks, unfortunately.
1: Let's not talk about Nashville goaltenders facing the Chicago Blackhawks. I that brings up some bad memories. I mean, I mean I'm
0: I'm excited to see Lankanen play against us this year. I hope he plays against us this year. I hope they actually let him play against us. Oh, he's
3: having a really good season, actually.
0: Just because there's certain players who I don't care what team he's on. I can't hate the dude. I don't care
3: that it's Nashville. I can't hate Kevin Lankanen. Yeah, he's having a way better season than, than uh, Saros. Sorry, he's on Nashville. I have to hate him. No, no, Nick, 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 Nick. No, no. Mm-mm.
0: For me, the reason why I, I I think I might have said this before. The reason why I have such respect for Kevin Lankanen is because we didn't get the chance to show him when he was good here how much we love him. Because the, there was no state. There were no fans throughout the entire season, that he was fantastic. So he was doing all this fantastic stuff, and no one was there to show him any appreciation. And because of that, I want nothing more than to see him succeed wherever he goes. One interesting thing involving this game is the forwards that were on the ice throughout all five goals that were scored. Um, It was the same line the entire night for the Hawks.
1: Yeah, the lineup of Khrushchev, Domi, and Kane. They were on the ice for every single goal. And for whatever reason, Luke Richardson had them out there defending the one-goal lead. I really didn't get that.
2: Maybe they were trying to feed Tenorti for the Hattie.
1: Yeah, but they didn't. Patrick Kane Pat, Patrick Kane just shot the puck in it. I know, but if you
2: could tell, he also hesitated. He looked over to Tenorti to try to feed Tenorti but then he saw Tenorti was not open and he just shoots it down the ice for a 200 foot shot
0: Well, he tried to find Tenorti but it just didn't work in that moment we were lucky that, that we um actually were able to come out of that game with a win considering the fact that that moment with that post shot could have been like you know remember that moment and then all of a sudden the Ducks go back and they tie it up and then all of a sudden we're screwed
3: didn't Richardson do that earlier in the year too, where he put Kane out in the, like the last like minute to defend a lead? They like Kane on the ice. They, I think that they trust their players
0: enough where they're like, okay, put Kane out there for the for the empty netters. And it's like, I don't know why.
3: Like, I would rather protect a lead it's like, if I'm it's being it's honest.
0: Like, it's like, worth, it's like worthless stat padding. Yeah. Like if GMs value that in trade value, then okay.
3: Like sometimes, like I don't even like count the empty net goal. Like I'll say, we like it's an empty net goal. Like one cares. It's still on his hockey reference page, though. Hey, hot take! Patrick Kane's kind of been doing
1: that all year with all of his secondary assists on the power play. I saw it. Yeah, we. Started, I mean,
0: how many? How many primary even strength points does Patrick Kane have this
1: year? He has two goals, three assists, but I don't know if they're primary. He only has five even strength points this year. Yes. That's not even primary. You want me to check primary? I could do primary. Oh, God, no.
0: That's bad enough. That's bad enough. He only has five even strength points
1: this year. Uh, Tyler gets worse. Go for it. Four even strength points.
0: Four even strength primary points.
1: Yeah, primary
0: points. My bad. Yeah. He has one secondary assist.
1: Yes. So he has
0: four. Even strength primary points. A third of his, a third of his points
1: are primary even strength points.
0: Okay, what about just primary points in general? Um, oh,
1: it, it's four. It's four.
0: <laughs> what?
1: Yeah. Wait. He has eight secondary. Yeah,
0: I want to make sure that we're clear on this. Patrick Kane this season has twelve points. Yes. How many primary points does he have this year? That's primary assists and goals. Four. So what you're saying is he has eight secondary assists.
1: Yes, and seven of which came on the man advantage.
0: (laughs) He's been awful. Yeah. This is
3: really bad by his standards. It's okay, though, because some team will give us a first. And when they do give us a first and some good player, I will still cry, even though we might get a haul.
0: Yeah, but you know, um, as we talk about, you know, just the inevitability of the Hawks trading away Patrick Kane, it's worth mentioning that currently, as we record this, which is on Sunday night, the Hawks are one point out of a playoff spot. I, I don't believe, and I don't think you guys believe, that their performances over the last couple of weeks have been necessarily impressive. However, the Hawks are currently really close to the playoffs at this moment in time. I know we're only 15, 14 games in, but the Hawks right now on points percentage are in the second wildcard spot and on just straight points, they're one point away from the second wildcard spot. So I did want to ask you guys, is it a problem that this team is competing in games? Or should we, be, should we, just, be, should we just want this team to mindlessly lose or should we be happy that we're seeing players perform?
3: I think it's bad to a certain extent. It's good that certain players are performing like Ruse and um like Hershev, people like that. Soderblom as well. Yeah, Soderblom. All all good that they're performing, but for the long term, if we get if we make the playoffs or get close to it, I think it's going to set us back years.
2: I don't think it will set us back years. I think this is actually a good thing that the Hawks are playing well. It may not be the right thing for uh, a tank for Connor Bedard, but the reason why I'm on this side of it, where I think it's good to see the Hawks are playing well, where they are battling out each and every night, they may have not been getting all the wins. That they could come out with. But they keep battling. And it gives that opportunity. Showing this team has no quit. But. It also builds a winning. Formula. For the future of the Chicago Blackhawks. That makes it where Richardson has more of a. Control and handle for the team. To play well each night. And. If they don't get the wins, they don't get the wins. If they get the wins, they get them. Playing this way, keeping it close to upper standings, it's good to see. And we all know what will come by March 3rd when the trade deadline happens. A lot of these players won't be here. Because that's how uh, Kyle Davidson wants to go with this um, rebuild. He wants to... Get these assets where they have trade value and gain us more assets to come, more draft picks, more prospects. That's where it seems like this could be beneficial by upping the value of the player going for the trade deadline.
3: I I feel like I should also clarify that I do see the value in what you said, Nick, about us playing hard, and like that sort of stuff. I just think if we make the playoffs, we're going to be a first-round exit.
2: You don't think they will make the playoffs at all, though. I, I, I don't think this team
0: genuinely has a chance in hell of actually being a playoff team. I think we're getting too lucky too many times for us to actually be a playoff team. But I do think that we are able to be respectable on the ice, and that's all I really ask for. If
3: nothing else comes from this season, like we don't get a high pick or whatever, at least we know that Luke Richardson is probably the, the guy. And that, for me, is enough. I just, I just want that pick, though, man. I just want a high pick.
0: I understand that. But there is one thing that I want to look back on. If we're talking about a guy like Connor Bedard, and we look back at a situation like the 2015 draft with McDavid and some of the other guys that were there, we look at some of the guys who were selected after McDavid. You look at Buffalo. Buffalo tanked so hard for McDavid, and they got Eichel, and Eichel's not McDavid, and that team doesn't look like they're on. This that team didn't look like they had a sniff sniffing chance in hell of making the playoffs until they got rid of Eichel. You look at the team who picked tenth that year. Oh, who is it? Mikko Rantanen. How much worse really is he than Jack Eichel? I wouldn't say by much. You could even argue Rantanen's better, and he has a ring. You can't bet on that though. You can't, but it happens enough times. It's happened enough times over the years where players who are drafted lower are better than players who are drafted higher. That's why scouting is so important, and you can't just mindlessly tank to succeed. That's why it took te- That's why. That's why it took seven years for Connor McDavid to play in a conference final.
2: Look how long it took the Hawks to build their dynasty era. They had to take it through the draft. Brent Seabrook, 03. Corey Crawford, second round, 03. Uh, Nicholas Jarmerson, a late round pick in what was it, 05, oh, five. or 0- 06? Oh, 05. Oh, five? Oh, five.
1: Keith,
0: Keith 02, Seabrook 03, Jarmerson 05, Taze 06,
1: uh, Kane 07. Yeah. Yeah, but what put them them ahead? It was their top picks. It was Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tays. Without those guys, they wouldn't
0: have that foundation
1: right now. No, we do not. No, which is why getting more assets is the way to go.
2: But look how many of those high picks we've
3: flopped on in the last couple of years, though. That wasn't under Kyle Davidson. To, To Nick's point, though, also, we also don't know anything about the scouting staff that we have. I'm assuming they're all new, or most of them are new.
4: Not I'm assuming most of them
3: are new, though, correct? Probably, most of them, most uh, of them are probably new.
1: It's mostly the same guys, it looks like. <laughs> I mean, if it's, the, if it's
0: similar to the guys who we had a couple years before, those are the guys who what, drafted Isaac Phillips in the fifth round?
1: That's true. When no one else thought that was even a good idea? The other thing is, is that Davidson's looking for different things than what Bowman was looking for.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you can't—I don't think it's necessarily apples to apples, even if you have a similar scouting staff, because they're looking for different different things.
3: I shouldn't have—I shouldn't have been putting too much blame on the scouting staff because we also don't know their evaluations of every single player, um, in the draft. Mm-hmm. So that was my fault for. We also had we also had less top draft picks in general. Mm-hmm. And we true. also didn't acquire
0: because a ton of high-caliber high draft picks.
3: I just, I just hope that Davidson's more aggressive in the draft, like moving up for players, because I feel like Bowman wasn't doing that at all.
1: I mean, I think he showed it in the past draft.
3: Oh my God, yes, he did in the past draft. I'm just saying, like, I hope he continues it. You know? Yeah. Oh no, no yeah, for sure. Because like Bowman would just like. I just feel like Bowman would just like sit there and like pray, like, "Oh, I hope this guy falls to me. I don't want to trade up to get him because I'm stupid." I mean, he traded down a couple times. Look at Yoki Haru and uh, and
0: and the guy and the guy that the guy that Dallas traded up for there was literally Jake Ottinger.
3: Just he's just not smart. It's it's fine.
0: But but who cares? We got undrafted
1: Arvid Soderblom. He's better, so you know. Yeah,
0: but wrapping it wrapping it up into like the whole general concept of what I was discussing before uh, like the whole um main overarching theme is i don't think that we should be in a situation where people are genuinely mad when we win games
3: i'm i'm not in that boat like i've i see some people like that on twitter i'm not like happy when the other team scores i wish we were good but i just like I see through the lies that this team is showing me mm-hmm. when, when they win.
1: I'm not going to cheer for the team to lose. If anyone yeah, does exactly. that, I really don't think you're a fan.
2: Yeah, if anyone cheers for you to lose, it's truly you are not a fan. And honestly, in my opinion, if you don't want to be in a position to win, goodbye.
1: Yeah, I, I will say it is. It is important to recognize that. The way that this team probably gets better is through losing and through the draft. Mm-hmm. But it also cheering against the team doesn't make any sense
3: to me. Like the way I see it is if they win, fine. If they don't win, that's fine too. That's the way I, I think I'll that's look at. okay. I think that's okay right there.
0: But moving into our players of the week for the Hawks, um, who wants to start?
3: I'll go because I've never started a segment. Um, I go with Soderblom obviously because he played pretty well in the uh Ducks game so I'll give him I'll give him a uh, my player of the week yeah all right uh Wally
1: I'm going with Jared Tenorti. He, he had two goals in in that LA game but or no sorry the Anaheim game but even before that in that LA game I think I forgot exactly what it was but him and Murphy combined for like Eleven hits, four block shots. Um, I believe they had an expected goals percentage above fifty. Um, they were pretty good in that in that LA game too. And out on top of that he had two goals against the Ducks. He's my player of the week. All right, Nick.
2: Well, Wally, I kind of have to go with your pick also because Mister Two Goal Nordy giving us a win in Anaheim. I honestly. Have to go with Jared Tenorti as well.
0: All right, and my pick is going to be Mister, uh, the only player this week who has three, who had three assists, um, had an assist on every goal that actually had an assist. Mister Tinted Visor himself, Max Domi.
3: <laughs> I thought you hated
0: players with tinted Visor. I can't deny he played well. I mean, especially with with Soderblom already. With you guys already talking about Soderblom and Tenorti, I think that it is worth giving a shout, as well as Peter Mrazek, because I thought he played fantastic in that game against the Kings. But primarily, Domi had three assists this week in only two games. I thought that's fantastic for him, even if he is wearing a disgusting tinted visor. And that is going to do it for this section. We are going to be back in just a little bit with the prospect report. So stay tuned, and we'll see you in a bit. All right, we are back, and it's time for our biweekly prospect report here with Wally. As always, follow Wally on his prospect's Twitter account at CHI underscore prospects. So, Wally, over the last two weeks, what's been going on with some of our prospects?
1: Yeah, so a couple injury updates first. Um, Cole Gutman returned from his concussion on Friday. Um, I've mentioned this before. uh, He suffered in the first game of the season his first pro game, and he collided with Adam Clendini. Um But the good thing is, like I mentioned, he is back, and in his first game he did score his first professional goal.
0: Fantastic.
1: Or sec- well, first game back, first game back, as you mentioned. Then another injury update, Dominic James. Um, he suffered an upper body injury. They haven't really been too specific with that, and he missed both Friday and Saturday's game uh, for Minnesota Duluth. Mm-hmm.
0: Does it seem like he'll be out for long?
1: They didn't really say, um, I feel like with college injuries, they're always like super cryptic with it. They, they don't really ever say, because we haven't heard from Michigan at all about uh, Frank Nazar's injury at all. We only heard about that because of Scott Powers, so we don't really know at this point in time. All right, but we do have a
0: player who returned,
1: Aiden Thompson. Yep, Aiden Thompson. He suffered a leg injury at the World Junior Camp for the USA in August, I believe. Um, and it's great to see that he returned for Denver and he stepped right in. And he has, I'll mention, well, I was going to mention this later, but he had four points in his last four games. So that's great to see from Aiden Thompson.
0: Yeah, it's great. A um,
1: couple other injuries we have. Yep. Landon Slagert, he missed both Friday and Saturday's game with an injury. Pain. What? Pain. Oh pain. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. He's having I mean, I don't want to say a bad season, but it's it's kind of been a rough season for him. I mean two points and ten games and now he's hurt. So hopefully he comes back soon and hopefully when he comes back, hopefully he dominates. Um and then the other prospect was Paul Ludwinsky uh he missed sunday's game and i saw somewhere that he got hit pretty hard i didn't actually see the hit that's just coming from what i saw on twitter so um i don't know for sure if it was the hit that caused him to be out for tonight or on sunday's game but yeah yeah
0: uh moving into some of the top players of the week who do you think has been arguably the best player over the last two weeks for hawks prospects
1: yeah there's quite a few guys just looking over this list real quick, I'd probably say Ryan Green, actually. Um, mm. He had six points in his last two games, and that included a five-point performance where he put up two goals and three assists against UMass, who have a pretty good team this year. So that was quite impressive to see from Ryan Green.
0: Yeah, I don't think we've talked much about Ryan Green yet. So can we get like just you know a little bit of a lowdown on what exactly Ryan Green's all about?
1: Yeah, he's he's a pretty skilled player. He was pretty good for uh, the Gamblers in the USHL. Um, most of it, I feel like most of his games probably built around his playmaking. Um, and I think for the amount of picks that the Blackhawks had, I think it was a nice uh, bet. Maybe I don't know if it would be a nice bet on upside, but I think it was a good pick in that range. And I think he could be a player down the road for the Blackhawks. And it's great to see that um, he's having, like, a great start to uh, his collegiate career. Um, I believe he has 10 points in nine games or something like that. So it's great to see that he's already off to a hot start.
0: Yeah, and just to make sure that it's uh, said officially on here, just so that we all know this case, uh, Ryan Green is um, a center, uh, plays – for, for for Boston University and he was drafted in the second round of our most recent draft, 57th overall, second round 2022. So he is a guy who is very new to the system, very new to the organization because it's only his first year as part of the organization and he just went to college. So this is definitely a guy looking forward, but we haven't really talked about him much. But playing well the last couple weeks, good to see.
1: Um, another prospect that I wanted to mention would probably be Jakob Galvis um when don't you he has <laughs> uh he has he has six assists over his last four games he's been quite impressive this year uh he started out on the third pairing actually um and he's kind of worked his way up and he's been quite impressive arguably the best blue liner for the Rockford Ice Hogs. maybe maybe not the best defensively but offensively he's Probably been the best defenseman they've had this year. Who's
0: he typically playing with?
1: Um. So unfortunately, the um, talks haven't been posting their line charts, so I can't really, I can't really say. All right,
0: but um, you know, fantastic high high performing defenseman at the uh, AHL level. Fantastic performing defenseman we have also at the uh, WHL level. Kevin Korczynski stays hot.
1: Yeah, and I think part of that is due to the recent acquisition. Uh, Well, it wasn't recent, but he recently got sent down. Um, Luke Prokop was sent uh, to Seattle, and that pairing just seems perfect. I mean, you have the offensive acumen of Korchinski, and Prokop is just a shutdown defenseman. It's just – a perfect pair.
0: Yeah, and Prokop also has, um,
1: he's known, he has a heavy, heavy
0: wrist shot or heavy, heavy slap shot as well. He's a, you know, bigger player, um, good, good shutdown guy, but he also will take the shot While Korczynski is more looking to pass. So I think it's a perfect fit. And having a guy with that experience has won a WHL championship. And, you know, he's also just been such a massive figure as of late in terms of everything that's going around with him of course you know the whole coming out is gay thing on top of just being a great leader at the whl level i think that you know that's just a there, there's nothing wrong with having that guy being paired on a defense next to the best prospect that we have
1: yeah i think that seattle team's gonna go far and pro Cop's, i think he was on edmonton last year for the whl and that team, yeah, won, was. they won the WHL championship, and they went to the Memorial mm-hmm.
0: Cup. Yeah, he was. He was so a big part of that. Team.
1: He has that experience. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And just to mention the stat line of uh, Korczynski during that time, um, he had eight points, two goals, uh, six assists in his last six mm-hmm. games. Yeah,
0: another guy who uh, was another uh, you know preseason favorite of Hawks fans but it seems like he's finally getting his scoring touch going in the uh, at the QMJHL. Samuel Savoie hasn't seen a lot of scoring up to this
1: point in this year, but
0: this last couple weeks.
1: Yeah, Samuel Savoie has been on fire as of late. He recently got moved up onto the top line with former first-round pick Zach Dean and overager Cole Cormier. In um, the past Five games, he has eight points, five of which are goals. He's just been on fire. Mm, That's really good. Um,
0: a couple other players who've done really well. Um, Michael Tepley, as of late, in the with the Ice Hogs, had a last had a good last couple of games.
1: Yeah, since coming back from an undisclosed injury, uh, he has five points, one goal, four assists in his last four games. Um, I I think the injury at the start of the season kind of slowed him down a little bit. But at, once he came back, he's he's just been great for the team. Um, and then another player that I wanted to mention, uh, Artur Kiyumov. Um He has five points, three of which are goals to assist in his last four games. And he legitimately, uh, legitimately might be making a name for himself. And maybe he's someone, maybe he does sign. I don't know, but he's he's been good. Do you have his total stat line for the season by any chance? Yeah, in uh, 28 games, he has 7 goals and 12 assists for 19 points, um, which is second on Locomotives uh, in terms of scoring. It's just weird to me that they've already played 28 games in the KHL. Yeah, they start they start pretty early. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But um, those are the hot streaks, but we have an interesting uh, and kind of Maybe something that we haven't didn't expect to see up to this point. Lucas Reichel of the last couple of weeks not been at his best.
1: Yeah. Ever like even at the start of this season, he didn't look like he was on top like his game didn't look great. I think um, that's
3: because of Alti and Tepley being out. Or Alti leaving, but Tepley being out for a little bit.
1: I think that's part of it. He needs to redevelop the chemistry. I think the other thing, he might just be, I don't want to say he's too good for the HL because he's kind of struggling, but maybe he's too good compared to the players around him that he's forcing plays, stuff like that. Um, it's hard to really tell, but I he definitely has not been at the top of his game uh, the past few weeks. I will say that's not that, that's something that
0: I have said previously about Lucas Reichel. I remember when he had that prospect camp. It was like a year and a half ago and he was miles above everyone else in the ice except for like maybe Marco Rossi who was on the on the on the Wild team that night. Um you could see him like he was playing on a line with Colton Dock and Colton Dock was just not ready for his passes. Yeah, it's
1: just It's just difficult to really tell because he has looked like he struggled a little bit. But also, again, some of that could be attributed that he's just miles ahead of his teammates. Yeah. Um, And I just want to mention his stat line in that time as well. He has two points, one of which is a goal, um, and he's a minus six in his last six games, which is not great at all. Um, But again points and it's plus minus not the greatest indicators of who's good and who's bad
0: mm-hmm. but even then you know when you're averaging a minus a game over that type of stretch that's not
1: great yeah it's not it's not good at all um, but I wouldn't be too concerned I'm sure he'll get it back on the rail soon um, and then there's two other prospects that I wanted to touch on um, who are kind of struggling a little bit um Gavin Hayes, he has only one assist, and he has a minus four in his last five games. Um, part of that probably has to do uh, with Brennan Hoffman being out. I know he was suspended, and now he got traded. So Gavin Hayes might be the go-to guy now in Flint. Maybe that's a good thing for his development. Maybe it's not. Uh, we'll have to see. But the past two weeks, he has not been great.
0: Mm-hmm. And are, I'm guessing Flint are struggling if they traded away Offman.
1: Yeah, and the, the fun... Well, it's not really funny, but it, it was surprising to me at how little of a return they got. They didn't even get a first-round pick for Hoffman. Really? Yeah, it was It was kind of crazy to me.
0: Especially considering what they... Considering, like, the package that was given for Prokop.
1: Yeah, and the, I mean, those were conditional picks, but the only way that those conditions would be met if he played games for Seattle.
0: And now so, he is.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was a tad surprising.
0: Yeah, and so Hayes struggling, and that was without uh, that was without Othman, and now Othman's gone permanently.
1: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how he responds, and maybe he's traded himself, but maybe they want to hold on to him. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And then the other prospect that struggled a little bit, in my opinion, was Paul Ludwinski. Um, as we mentioned earlier, he missed, uh, Sunday's game. Um, but in his past five games, he only has two assists and he's a minus three, which is not ideal for a first line center.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but moving into, um, a new thing that we're going to discuss, uh, games of the week. This is things that you can look up, look forward to potentially watching if you have the opportunity to, whether it's, um, you know, prospect viewing isn't exactly a very, uh, Easy thing to do, but there is um hopefully in certain situations opportunities to watch some of these guys play. And the first one is one that I think that most of us will actually be able to watch because on a Thursday and Friday night, Notre Dame will be playing against Ohio State, which is a massive uh matchup between two teams that are actually very good in college hockey, which is unexpected because nobody really thought coming into the year that Ohio State would be that good. But Jake Wise appears to be leading them to victory.
1: Yeah, Jake Wise is a point per game this year. And then if Landon Slaggard is back, we may get to see him. And Ryder Rolston should be in the lineup. I I think it should be a great game to watch. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Rolston versus Wise, even if Slaggard isn't there, should still be really interesting. Because I think that even if some people might have thought his time had passed him by, I think Jake Wise can play in the AHL at the end of this year.
1: Yeah, he's... From what I recall, he's uh during the off seasons he's still been training at fifth third. Um mm-hmm. so maybe there's a chance that he gets brought uh on with an AHL contract, um, but that is to be seen still. Um but yeah, it should be great to see two of the three or maybe three of the three um of these guys on uh Thursday and Friday. So
0: Yeah. And most college hockey uh stuff involves like two-game series where you'll play both games
1: and then that'll be the entire thing,
0: especially in a conference like the Big Ten where you have seven teams. That's usually how it
1: works. Also on Thursday, uh, Locomotive versus Red Star, which means Arthur Kayumov will play against Parker Foo, both of whom are older prospects within the Hawks system, but they're both impressing um, at the KHL level. I think they're both top five. In uh, KHL under twenty five scoring, so that could be an interesting matchup to watch. If somehow you're able to watch the KHL, so
0: which I'm I'm assuming most of us are going to expect not to be the case. So we can go and we can recap uh, a little bit what happened in that game between the two. If anyone scored next week, but they, that that that's that's it right there. You got Parker Food versus Ardekai Bob, I
1: guess. And then the last two. Um, I just mentioned these because uh, Flint and London—they're both neck and neck in the standings. So Gavin Hayes, and there will be—I believe this will be—it oh, won't. It will be his first game where Brennan Hoffman is traded off the team. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds. Um, and then the other one is Mississauga versus Peterborough, um, and Del Mastro will be taking on the Peets. Um, and it'll be interesting did to see. Did Brennan Hoffman
0: get traded to the Pete's?
1: Oh yeah, actually, he did. That's funny. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He did. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be interesting to see how he plays against Brennan offman who is one of the better, if not the best, player um in the OHL. Yeah, that
0: seems like that's the case. Um. But other than that, that is going to do it for uh, our prospect report. Thanks so much for helping us, Wally.
1: No problem.
0: And when we get back, we are going to have a special guest, as I mentioned before. Our friend Jameson, who is a Bruins fan, is going to be here to help us in a fantastic conversation where we go over everything that you need to know about how the Bruins are doing this year because they've been one of the best teams in the league and how they can match up against the hawks so stay tuned and we'll see y'all in a bit all right we are back and as we mentioned we have our friend jameson also known as black bears we will be calling him that probably interchangeably throughout this uh so if that's why you hear that that's the case but jameson is a bruins fan and we wanted to bring him in because the hawks play the bruins on saturday so welcome jameson and thank you for joining the show
4: Hello, thank you for having me. I hope I can provide some valuable insight into your matchup with the best team in the NHL right now.
0: Yeah, let's start there, because um, the Bruins are having a fantastic season to start this year. What do you think has been the key for them so far?
4: I'm going to say it is completely Montgomery right now, has been one of the biggest reasons... This team has been so successful. It's been such a dramatic shift watching the difference between Montgomery system and Cassidy's system. Man, the players look just so much more free and so much more, you know, so much more creative on offense. That's been the biggest thing. Less dump and chase, dump and chase. More make your man miss and then make a play. It's it's just been phenomenal to watch. The fact that we can have Marshawned out and start the year. um, I think we were like six and one before Marshawn came back, and then we were at ten and ten and one, ten and two before McAvoy came back. Like which not even me expected. And yeah, I've been I've been loving it. This team's been fun to watch. So right
3: now you are second in goals against with only 35. The only team that is above you is uh, the Winnipeg Jets with 33. What what were the differences in between Cassidy's system and Montgomery's system defensively?
4: You know, I will say defensively has been the place where I feel like we've been a little bit more shoddy at times, although we've seen Hampus Lindholm go absolutely off. I've loved that. I think we'll get to that more later. Um, in the absence of McAvoy, even him and Clifton have been actually a really underrated um, pairing. But really, the biggest reason for the goals against isn't even the system. It's Omark. He has really shown himself to be a top goalie in the league right now. I'm waiting to see when he cools down a bit because, of course, I'm a little bit hesitant to, you know throw him in the running for um, the best goalie in the league. I think he'll cool down at some point, but at the moment, man, he is the reason why we won some of those games earlier on in the year. He, I have nothing but praise for him at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, I don't expect him to stay at a 936 the entire season. but um...
4: Yeah, no, he has been absolutely incredible. I don't know if you saw the highlight from today's game against the Canucks. But, oh, my God, he had a sprawling save that he pinned the puck against the post. Like, it was it was really sweet. But, no, I think it takes some time to really see what the defense of a new system looks like. Um, so, we had some settling in there. Um, example, Ottawa. That Ottawa game was um, something else. How long ago was that? Um, that, you're probably looking at – that was, like – Second week of the season, probably. Oh, okay. That was that was the like really weird like seven to five game. Yeah, yeah. seven to
3: five. It was on October eighteenth. Yeah, it was a while ago.
4: Yeah, Swayman was in net. I, I feel bad for him, but he's done well since. Of course, getting injured sounds like just a sprain. Thank God. Um, but yeah, no. After that, we started tightening up more on defense. So I think that's. Helped as well. Um, but yeah, no, that, I like that. The, I didn't realize we were second in goals against the Winnipeg. Um, do you know how many games played Winnipeg has? Oh, uh, yeah, I can get you that. Well, they also have Hellebuck. They have Hellebuck, yes. I'm yeah, just kind of curious. I don't know if you
0: guys have played Winnipeg yet, but we got goalie when we played against Hellebuck. We had like 30 shots and we got shut out.
4: Um, not played Winnipeg yet. Of course, Eastern Conference team. So you've actually
3: you've actually played more games than Winnipeg. They played fourteen. You played six. Okay, that's not too shocking. Yeah,
0: I wonder what the goals against per game would be, but I think you're looking at maybe Boston towards like the very top of the list in terms of goals against per game.
1: Boston actually is top in uh, goals against per sixty with two point one six. The next closest is Vegas at two point three. So Boston's actually leading the way in terms of goals and Which, ironically, is Bruce Cassidy's team. The,
4: uh, let's, let's take a moment to talk about that, too, because I will say... I So I will say, on the record, I was not a fan of firing Cassidy. I didn't feel like he was the guy who should have gone in the chopping block. I probably would have said, fire Sweeney first. Um, however... The best guy they could have picked was Jim Montgomery. I said at the time, part of it is might be some of my main bias because, you know, he was a legendary player for us here when we won um, our national championships. Um, but his system just has worked perfectly for this team. It's just let our offensive firepower show. We have. Um, I believe it's twenty goal scores in sixteen games. Um at the moment, which geez, it's nice. Nosek just broke his um I think he was at over three hundred days without a goal and got an empty nether tonight to break that streak. You could <laughs> you could you could see the relief in his face scoring <laughs> that goal and Zaborro has gotten his first career goal too this season. Um, but no, I will say like, just to quickly add, I'm not surprised at how good Vegas is doing with Cassidy because Cassidy is a really good coach and, um, Vegas needed a system change. I think after last year that just wasn't cutting it and bringing in Cassidy, I think is going to real, it is helping them out immensely. It's really funny seeing the Bruins and the Golden Knights as the top two team in the league for me I have nothing but love for Cassidy um and I think it'd be really cool if somehow you could get Boston and Vegas in the finals I still th- I think that'd be really cool of course still would want to make sure we beat them uh but no it I I'm I'm happy to see him succeeding too yeah so I think
0: the first thing that I want one, one, one thing I want to ask you is just which players do you think, because you see some of the stats and you see some of, the, some of the statistics that are out there, which players would you say have either surprised you? Because I think that, you know, I don't know if there's really anyone who's necessarily been bad on that team throughout the entire year. That's what happens when you're, you are We only have two losses at this point in the season, mm-hmm. um, which obviously scares me going into a game against you guys because,
4: oh my God, you're red hot. Best start in franchise history.
0: Which guys do you think looking at you would say are like the guys who have beyond exceeded expectations from what you thought so far this year?
4: Well, number one, far and away, Nick Foligno. Holy f- <laughs> explicit here. Um, he went from two goals last year to like first four games, he already like beat his goal total or something. Um, he has really shown himself to be a quality player, which, after last year, Jesus, I did not think that was possible um but no, he moved his way up in the lineup after many people thought like he should be getting sent down to the a he made it in training camp, and instantly it's been he's been giving every Bruins fan crow who was like doubting that decision. He's proven himself to be a locker room leader. Um, and it's really been nice to see that. And just his play, he's moved his way up to the third line and every single Boston Bruins fan has, um, has really respected his start to the year. um, I will mention Krejci had no clue exactly what we were going to get out of him and we're getting him like he never left. Um, It is incredible. Um, I've loved watching him play. Um, You know, he's been an absolute asset to have on that second line. I, I enjoyed when Hala had his Hawk street last year, but there's no replacing Krejci like, like having him back, pairing him with Pusternak, although the Bruins have been much more flowy with their line combinations this year. We started out, I think, with the perfection line. I hate that name, by the way. Um, in in this game um, today against Vancouver, but Krejci was great. I mean, Lindholm has was just phenomenal too. I can't go without saying Lindholm. I mean, let's talk about let's talk about Amos
0: Lindholm. Let's just take our let's just take our W's there because I, along with Jameson when that trade went down, there was a lot of people criticizing Hampus Lindholm. And I think it was, uh, especially because we were talking to each other a lot of the time, we were both like, no, this is a fantastic decision by the Bruins. Oh my God. I was, because I also was the guy that was begging for the Hawks to trade for Hampus Lindholm. I wanted us to trade for him because I thought he'd be like the perfect guy who could pair next to Boquist for the next 10 years. So for you guys to get him and to see what he's doing so far, it's validating even though it's painful to not have him here.
4: Oh, my God. I have loved Lindholm. Oh, my God. Um, when that trade went down, I mean, the the most common thing was we should have went and got forward. But I was like, Grizzly McAvoy doesn't convince me. I've never been the biggest Grizzly fan. Um, he's fine. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like... You could have gotten someone who could... R- you had the opportunity, that trade deadline, to get someone to bring your whole team up on the defensive end. They did that with Lindholm, signed him long-term. By the way, 6.5 is a steal. Oh, it's an absolute oh steal. I loved that contract when it was signed. I am over the moon about it now. Like, he is now tied for second in defenseman points in the league. You know, only behind Eric Carlson and tied with Adam Fox and um one other guy at this moment. I am, of course, blanking on his name. Um,
0: That's unreal.
4: <laughs> yeah, oh my god. It is absolutely insane. Um, But no, I've loved it. I'm I'm going to take as many victory laps as possible on Lindholm. I want a Lindholm jersey bad now.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's actually let's actually bring this not only just talking about you know the Bruins and the fact they've been fantastic. Let's also talk about you know the matchup that could be brought in terms of how it compares to the Hawks. And I'll actually let Wally talk about this. Just I, I actually I'll, I'll start just by saying that um, one of the things with the Hawks this year is that. They've been an extremely physical team, uh, which is something that is not common here. We're not used to that. I know that's something that I would assume that Bruins fans are used to seeing as physical teams, but we are not used to that. And we've we've out-hit our opponents every single game this year. How do you think that the Bruins would match up to a team that wants to play physical?
4: I think you are going to find you run into a similar problem that Vancouver ran into tonight. And that is the Bruins got in two fights in the first period. Um, AJ Greer laid a bit of a hit, and then the two guys had a scrap. But before that, Pasternak got kind of roughed up a bit. I think from Nosek's angle, he thought it might have been high. Um, but it was it was a clean hit, but still one of those like it's a hit on your star player. And Nosek went and got in his first career fight, and they were like actual um, fights, not just like scraps or like like scrums. Um, the Greer one was an actual fight. the The Nosek one wasn't much of a fight. It was, I mean, it was a brawl. It wasn't much of a fight. Um, but this Bruins team has. Shown it's willing to get physical. Um, It's not necessarily their game at the moment, I would say, but they can play to that game. Uh, If you haven't seen that AJ Greer fight, though, I would check it out. AJ Greer completely rocked. Um, I think think it was Burrow. No, it was Pod Colson. He completely rocked Pod Colson and um, add him to the long list of Vancouver players who have gotten their um, butt kicked in by a bomb ruin.
1: 2011
0: rises again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, one thing that I wanted to add is both of these teams are actually top two in faceoff percentage. Uh, the Blackhawks are first the Bruins are second but they're only separated by roughly one percent I think it'll definitely be interesting I don't think face offs are everything in fact I think very little of them compared to other people um, but I was curious to what you think uh black bears
4: um it's actually interesting hearing that I didn't realize how good the the blackhawks were on the dot um I actually am a I have a bit of a different mentality than you. I think face offs are rather important, um, especially when you start Thank thinking you. Def- i mean a defensive zone win on a penalty kill is pretty important to clear it out, and you're wasting you know fifteen twenty seconds of that of that power play by you know winning a face off, clearing it out, and now they have to go regroup and get back down the ice even same thing offensive zone you win that face off now you're cycling and now you're getting an offensive chance likely you know so winning face offs i feel is more important than you want to give it credit for you know the real stats do matter um you might not actually understand that but
0: i genuinely believe that is a that it that is a very analytical mindset to have in that situation even if like the raw numbers might not be like the necessarily like quote unquote back it up i think that the way you're viewing it is from kind of a is kind of like the mindset that most people who are like analytically thinking would actually view it
1: okay i was gonna say i think it really depends on the context of the face-off if it's in the defensive zone and you're shorthanded yes of course that matters but if you're just looking at the general scheme of things i don't think face-offs as a whole matter if you look at one singular event yes that could be the difference between winning the game and losing the game. I, I guess it's more anecdotal in my opinion than what the statistics actually show.
4: My viewing of the importance of face-offs and, you know, cause a face-off can really set up any of those opportunities, like whether what the specific event is at that point in time, who knows, but you're setting yourself up in the right direction. If you're winning that face-off, I think who, I think based off of how good both teams have been, I would mark that as something to keep an eye on to see which team does end up getting the better of the draws. You do have Patrice Bergeron on Boston's side. Um, Charlie Coyle has been pretty good as well on the dot. Uh, and Nosek is a left-handed um, is a left centerman. That's all I can really say about Nosek. Um <laughs> He's actually so pretty good on the dot. I I'd say... Um, it's 56. Yeah. I, I was just, sh- I would imagine. Yeah. And I think Kraychie's probably been mm. all right too. Yeah. Um, but it's just something I think to keep an eye on. I don't think it will be the difference. Pink definitely keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And for us, both of our top two centers, uh, Max Domi and Jonathan Taze, both have faceoff percentages this year over 60%. And um in our last game or in one of our games recently, uh we played against the Kings and Philip Deneau, who is also a very good centerman, had a terrible night at the dot, primarily because Jonathan Taze just
3: ate him alive. All right, Black Bears, looking through the Bruins stats, I see that uh Charlie McAvoy's only played three games this year and he has two points in those in this year. And so when I looked at his uh game logs, I see that he's started playing recently what does adding charlie mcavoy to this already stacked uh team mean
4: mean for the team going forward honestly it means everyone can just do a little bit more of their own thing and not have to cover as much um if if you know what i'm saying so like completely understandable McAvoy is just adds a great presence to the defensive aspects of this team. And, you know, I'd say a similar thing about Martian on the offense. What you found is I think Lindholm started out the season really almost doing too much, you know, trying to just cover for the fact that he was the team's, you know, star defenseman. And he's really proven that he's worthy of that title as well. But you're getting two franchise centerpiece that are some of the best players at their position in the league back in your lineup as a red hot team. Like, you know, you, you're hoping they're not rushing back. Does not appear like they have. They look really healthy. Marshan says the best he's felt in years. Um, and McAvoy seems to be doing all right. But just getting them back, everyone is just free to do their own thing so much more, and McAvoy just adds that much more insurance to what has been a great start for
3: this team. I, I think it adds more like um, weight to the fact that they're doing so well without Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand.
4: Exactly, exactly. And now they're getting every, them back. Every Bruins – yeah, Every Bruins fan will tell you that our expectations going into the season were just treading water as much as we could to get Marshawn and McAvoy back. We did a bit more than tread water.
0: Yeah. Um, another thing that I've noticed, um, So, and this blows my mind, actually, um, your penalty kill is listed as 94%. Um, is that after today's game? Even no, it's not.
4: Okay, that's going down. We allowed two power play goals tonight, but uh, um. Like so,
0: so you're probably you're still probably you're you're still I would say over ninety percent, which is still among the best in the which is still among the best in the league. And our power play this year has been decent, but I don't know if I necessarily trust it long term. So, do you think that because it looks like your power play is pretty good, our penalty kill has been bad? And your penalty kill is fantastic. How much do you think special teams, especially with McAvoy back as well, and having players like Martian, especially, you know, Red Hot Plasternock too, who we haven't even really mentioned yet, who has like more, who has, what is it? More, he has like, he's averaging
4: like an assist a game. It's something incredible, yeah. He, he's
0: 25, he has, he, has, he has 25 points in 16 games and he's averaging in an assist a game.
4: Yeah, yeah. he's That's been incredible. Crazy. That's crazy. With all those guys, how
0: much do you think you could see like you know special teams impacting this stuff because we've seen tons of special teams goals for both teams in games that we've seen this year
4: um I think there's a significant chance there is an impact. It's interesting to hear that our power play numbers are solid. it hasn't really felt that way it we felt like uh, similar to you guys i'm Probably, yeah. But it feels like we keep trying things, and like we aren't getting the puck in the net with the power play for a wh- for a good stretch. Recently, we were trying the five forward power play. Um, yeah, no, we were allowing way too many breakaways. Um, so I think we went back to McAvoy on the power play. Our penalty kill, I think, is really interesting. It's stressful watching it at times, but. Um, there's a decent amount of zone time, usually, for, for the teams on the power play. And then I think it's generally a carry that we do when we're going out of the zone. I don't think we dump it as often as most teams. I think, I think we carry it a little bit more often, which does waste a solid amount of time when we do that. But until that point, there is a decent amount of zone time, and it especially scared me early on. I think it could have an impact. Our our penalty kill isn't impenetrable. Um, you know, tonight's game against Vancouver, they were two for five, I think. Um, but, I mean, I think it could easily end up being some of the differences between... It could end up being the difference of the game. The Bruins 5-on-5 have been a little bit more hit or miss in the last few games. I think teams are figuring out um, the... Bruins strategy now, and now it's up to Montgomery to really start coaching this team to adjust to those adjustments um, and keep the offensive firepower where it is. Um, But it could very well be special teams are the difference of that game.
1: Yeah, the Bruins also, I just was just looking this up. Um, They allowed the least amount of shots per 60 on the penalty kill and the least amount of high danger chances, mm-hmm. so their penalty kill seems like it's legit.
4: Yes, um, it's a lot of getting in the way of the puck. Like it's a, a de- it's a solid amount of zone time usually for um the opposing teams, but it's a lot of just getting bodies in front of the puck. Derek Forbert, who I didn't get the chance to mention in players who I was impressed by, really was phenomenal on the PK to start the year um Boston Bruins fans I think all would say they were surprised by Forbert I loved him in the postseason last year I'm glad he's carried that over I am fine with paying him three million dollars I am completely fine with that for what he's been providing to this team him and Clifton were doing great now Clifton and Lindholm's been doing great who by the way Clifton's gonna get a nice sum of money at the this offseason and I sadly don't think it's gonna be with Boston so, so, yeah, I think that's been the biggest thing. So sometimes it can seem really scary with the amount of zone time, but it's a lot of bodies. It's not a lot of shots going through, which is very good for the, for the PK. Yeah, and
0: I think one thing that you mentioned is you know a lot of zone time there. Earlier this year, the Hawks played a game against the Islanders, and it was probably one of the worst power play performances I've seen from us the entire year. We had a, a, a five-minute major that we uh, had. Within like the first three minutes of the game, and we had like no zone time because they were playing like the most perfectly executed trap I've ever seen. It seems like that's a, even though they are an elite, they've been in an elite penalty kill, and you guys have also been an elite penalty kill. It seems like you guys play a different style of that.
4: Probably, most likely, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I also wanted to ask the other question. I wanted to ask is, um, do you think the Bruins have a true power play quarterback?
4: Um, I think they're figuring that out. Um, I think you cannot underestimate how good Bergeron is on our power play. I mean, he goes in that bumper spot, and he can do anything you need him to. He's He is still at the top of his game at his age, and it is incredible to watch. I think they're still looking for the the quarterback-type guy. I don't think Marshawn and Pasternak are really doing that necessarily, more trying to open up some chances I think McAvoy might end up sliding into that role a bit and I mean Bergeron of course is does some being the bumper guy but I think that is something like they run a lot of their power play one so it's a lot of those same guys so I think it's just figuring out who the exact person is who quarterbacks it
0: but moving into the score predictions for this Boston game um what do we have, um, Wally? Let's start it off.
1: Well, last time I said that the Blackhawks were going to win six to one over the Ducks. That obviously didn't end up happening. Oh God, Wally! Gonna... <laughs> yeah, I think we
0: did win that game.
4: Yes, we did. Why would you ever give a six one prediction, dude? <laughs> have you seen your roster? Hey,
1: hey, we won. Um. Regardless, I'm going to say, I'm going to say five to two Bruins.
2: All right. Uh, Nick? Um, I honestly think this game could be a close game and kind of be a surprising one for Boston standpoint. And I'm going to say it's going to be a three to OT final
3: for Boston. All right, John? I'm not gonna be as optimistic i'm gonna f- predict a four to nothing win or for Boston,
0: yeah, and I'm kinda feeling the same way on that one. I'm going to go with a five to one win for the Bruins on this one uh I just i mean this the team's red hot, they're getting players back that they didn't have before, and I think it you know I don't know how many times I'm gonna say that at some point our underlying numbers are finally gonna catch up to us. And we will end with our guest and Bruins fan. Jameson, what do you think is gonna be the score of this game?
4: I'm going to ask you one question. How has your guys' yeah. goaltending been?
1: Um, um really uh, good, actually. It's been up and down. Quite good. Above average. It's, it's been, been average. It's
4: been, I think I would
0: say I would say it's been inconsistent. Yeah, up and but down, I think we have
1: very good games.
4: So here's what I would say. If you had told me your goaltending was really good. I would have come at you and probably said, like, something more absurd. Like, something like a 6-2 final, right? If you said your goaltending is bad, I'd be telling you you'd be looking at a 4-2 win with a, a, one of those being an empty net goal. We haven't done well against, for some reason, bad goaltending at times. Like, we were one of the teams who helped Flurry get back on his feet. Gibson was struggling, and they both those games went to overtime. Um... I don't hate Nick's thinking that it's going to be a closer game than we think. Like, I think you could likely see 1-1 after intermission. Um, Blackhawks may even have a lead after two. I'm going to go with a... um, I'm going to go 4-2. Yeah, 4-2 Bruins win. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that just a name for you to watch out for. If he starts a net, um, because... I don't. I'm not. I'm assuming Stalock won't be back at that point. But whether it's Peter Mrazek or um, Arvid Soderblom, who I hope it'll be Soderblom because it'll be good for you to see. Because I think this kid's going to be fantastic, and we have been hyping him up as much as we possibly can over here for all of his performances in Rockford for us and what he's done in the NHL so far this year. So he is going to frustrate you if he is uh, starting that night because I think that he's going to play very well if he does. <laughs>
4: Hey, pro- he's he, he's probably your best goaltending prospect, probably better than Mr. meth over in Boston University. Oh, okay. 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 Okay.
0: okay. Drew
4: Comezzo. That was uncalled for.
0: <laughs> all right, those are the predictions for that game. Let's also get from all of us, Hawks have four games coming up this week. We've got Carolina at home on Monday, St. Louis at home on Wednesday, and then we have Boston away on Saturday before Marion hosts tonight, Pittsburgh at home on Sunday. Eight possible points there. Wally, how many do you think we get?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. I think I'm going to say three points. Um, I think we win against St. Louis in regulation, but I think we lose in overtime to the Penguins and the Hurricanes and the Bruins we lose in regulation. That'd be two points. No, I said no. If they won, did I say they lose in regulation? I meant they lose in overtime against the Penguins. If I said regulation, that's my bad. (laughs) All right, so you got you got
0: three points there: win against St. Louis and then a loss in OT to Pittsburgh is the three points there.
1: Nick,
2: what do you got? So I have the Hawks losing to the Hurricanes on Monday night, and then which would be in regulation. I have the Hawks. Beating St. Louis in overtime um three two, losing to the Bruins three two in overtime, but winning on Marian Hosa night against the Penguins in regulation with a score of four to one. All
3: right, so you got five points there? Yep. All right, John. Alright, so loss to the Hurricanes in regulation, win in overtime against the Blues, loss in regulation to the Bruins, and then a win in overtime against the Penguins. All right, and I think
0: that we will end the week with four points. Uh, I'm just going to go straight with wins in regulation against both Pittsburgh and St. Louis, with uh, pretty bad losses I think will be the case against both Carolina and Boston. And then, um, and then, Jameson, I will do this one for you. Um, you guys have only two games this week. You've got the Flyers on Thursday and then the Hawks uh, on Saturday. What do you got in terms of your points over those next four?
4: Um, I have this feeling that, you know, we've got a good thing going. I'm kind of a pessimist. I think we're going to lose a game here. I think we dropped the Flyers game, something like 2-1. And I think we beat the Blackhawks 4-2 with likely needing an empty net goal. Um, We could win both, but I'm going to just say we split it.
0: All right. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Hockey Podcast. Thank you for joining us, Jameson.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: And thanks as always for joining us, Wally. Let's go Hawks. Hell yeah. Nick? Also the God. Yeah, he is. And John?
3: 17 seconds.
0: <laughs> My name is Tyler. This has been the Hockey Podcast, and we will see y'all next time. Take care. Go bees! Music for this podcast was Cool Rock by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Find out more at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by B-Y forward slash 4.0.